This interview is brought to you by First Rand. I'm Nina Pintelberg for Biz News. The first partial skull of a child of Homo naledi has been found in the Rising Star Caves in South Africa by a team of international scientists from 14 institutions, which includes the University of the Witwatersrand. It follows the discovery of a previously unidentified hominin species named Homo naledi by the team in 2013, which shook up our understanding of the early human origins. Leading the team is Professor Lee Berger, the man being charted around the world as having discovered this entirely new species of hominid in the cradle of humankind, which is one of South Africa's World Heritage Sites. Joining me now is Professor Berger. I'm really excited to meet you. So can you tell us how you got this latest breakthrough? Sure. So I discovered Homo naledi back in 2013 when I sent teams of both uh, students and amateur cavers into a series of caves that I'd mapped back in 2008 with Google Earth. And that mapping system had resulted in the discovery of Australopithecus sediba. But I hadn't been underground into the systems. And that was what the exercise was about. And remarkably, very shortly into that work, my teams found the remains of ancient hominids lying on the floor of a cave, some 150 meters back in, 40 meters underground, in a situation that, that no one had ever seen before in the search for human origins. Literally, these primitive ancient hominids lying on the floor of the cave. We built an expedition called the Rising Star Expedition. That's what the cave uh, complex was called. Actually, a very well-known cave complex. And uh, immediately realized we discovered something extraordinary. By the end of the expedition, four weeks later, we discovered the largest assemblage of ancient human relatives in the history of the search for human origins on the continent of Africa. Over 1,500 remains, almost two dozen individuals. That work has continued. And after two years, we named a new species, Homo naledi. It became one of the largest science projects in the world. And this species was hugely enigmatic. It was, it was really strange. It had a tiny head about a third to a quarter of the size of a human, ape-like shoulders, but it walked on two legs with a sort of very advanced body. And it looked like a combination of things, like some of the earliest ancestors like Homo habilis, maybe mixed with some Homo erectus and a little bit of human thrown in there. But we didn't have a date for it because the situation was very difficult to date. And so we would only uh, invent technology, literally, to date it two years later after that. And we found out that not only was this a strange-looking species, but it was out of time and out of place because our geochronologists dated uh, those remains between 230 and 330,000 years ago. That sounds like a long time, but that type of primitive hominid shouldn't have existed at that time. In fact, we thought only Homo sapiens existed on the continent of Africa at that time. And our explorations continued. And in September of 2017, our teams pushed beyond the Dinaledi chamber into the most difficult places to access in this cave. And for anyone who's ever seen images of our, our working in these caves, just to get to the Dinaledi chamber requires some of the most extraordinary efforts by cavers ever, going down 12 meter slots that are 16 centimeters wide, crawling through very dangerous passages. Well, the area that we move beyond that is worse than that. 
it's a network, a spider web, really, of narrow passages, most of which are only about 15 centimeters wide. And it was in one of these in 2017 that our teams discovered the fragmentary remains of a skull sitting on a little ledge 80 centimeters above the floor. That's the skull. That's the thing that we've announced recently. The little skull that we was a child, four to six years old, dating to, we believe, about the same time as all the other Homo naledi remains. And it's just the skull. It's the only thing sitting there. Now, skulls of children of any of these ancient human relatives are incredibly rare. People have often said that these, these fossils are the rarest sought-after objects on the planet. But if the adults are that, the children are 10 or 20 times as rare. Why is that? Mostly just they're found with isolated teeth because the bones are so fragile. But an interesting case with this child, which we call Letty, by the way, which is short for Letimella or the lost one, is that there are no bones with her other than just this skull. No bones of her body. It appears as if someone placed her skull on this little ledge 250,000 years ago. And that adds to the mystery beyond the value of her skull, learning about development and growth in, in homonoletti. Well, I'm really interested in the people who work with you who, who found this. Um, you said it was deep down. I've seen some of the interviews that they did. Just tell us about these, what do you call them, cavers? <laughs> well, the original one was uh, that worked in there was all-female team that I, I unfortunately gave the name Underground Astronaut, and I've received a lot of criticism for that because they say they're not astronauts, they're Terranauts. Or, but I did it in a, a moment of emotion back in the Rising Star uh, expedition where, you know, I was, I was sitting in this command center watching these remote grainy things. We, we jerry-rigged this system to, to watch people. We're much more sophisticated now, but there we just strung, you know, security cameras back into these hostile environments. And I was watching these black and white grainy things. I said, oh, my gosh, they're, they're like astronauts, except underground astronauts, and it's stuck. Um, I get a lot of hate mail for that. Um, but they are extraordinary people. Many of them came from either amateur backgrounds or scientific backgrounds. They all have, of course, the physique to, to move in these very small and tiny places. They have to be able to even get into these areas, squeeze through things like uh, 16 to 18 centimeter shoots. They have to have absolutely no claustrophobia and they have to be highly <laughs> yeah. trained. And we often spend a great deal of time training people before we move them in because there's almost no way to recover them if something happens down there. You know, we take safety seriously. So they're brave, they're, but they're also highly trained, and they have to be able to excavate this very, very precious material. Without damaging what, right. what they find. Well, the story is incredible. So you said it's a small child, and you know it's a female, and she's used to walk upright. Do you think this theory of yours that it might have been a burial ground, does that need more exploration? So let me correct a couple of things. We don't know it's a female. I just used that term. Oh, um, sorry. It's, it, we, this is the first time we had a the, both the skull and dentition of a child. We found isolated dental remains and some other jaw fragments, but never something like this. I, I use that just as a, a term of endearment, so I don't know that. But we do know that Homo naledi walked upright because it's the best represented fossil hominid in the entire record. I mean, we have more Homo naledi than any other species of hominid ever discovered on the continent of Africa, even ones that were discovered 60, 70 years ago, 80 years ago that continue to be discovered. 
And so we have bones of all areas of the anatomy. We have partial skeletons. And we can see that they absolutely walk upright. Does this add to the idea that Homo naledi was performing ritual practices? Well, the, the first time we suggested that, we did so because Homo naledi was alone. And we could not see any other way that such an accumulation and abundance of a single species of animals with no, no predatory damage, no scavenging damage, no evidence that they were washed in there in any way, could continually and over time get into the system. We could see that they were coming in one after the other. They weren't, it wasn't like a group of them that got in there and were killed all at once or something that some people might suggest. Some people thought that was good evidence. Some archaeologists said it's impossible. Small brain hominids can't think like that. Um, holding on to the idea that humans are unique. We then found the Lissetti chamber. And the Lissetti chamber had a similar but different situation. There were, again, no animals. But here you had a body in an alcove, literally raised mm. off the floor in an alcove. The whole the whole body was there. That was a conundrum. But again, it looked very similar to the kind of things, the ways that humans use caves like this or, or catacombs to place their dead. And so... Some people thought that added quite a lot of evidence to the idea. Little Letty and just ahead on a shelf. is it's, It is hard to imagine how that occurred without others of her species interacting with her skull. Because there are no body parts there. And you see, if, if she'd crawled in there and died, say that would be kind of your logical way of, of, of her getting there, then... You'd find her body, too. In fact, you wouldn't find these fragile bones of the skull. They always become destroyed. They're paper thin. You would find parts of the arms and the legs, the long bones, which are, are much more uh, rugged and, and would preserve. You would expect to find other pieces than this. Here, we just find this fragmented skull. And it, it does seem to add at least some idea that this, again, may be a case of Homo naledi interacting with its dead, this one after the bones had deteriorated. It's a very provocative thing. We're continuing to explore this idea. Uh, we are working on other areas of this cave that, that I think will enlighten us substantially, perhaps in a more testable way than, than her little skull on a shelf has or, or where we are, are at this moment. And, and I hope that in the relatively near future, will be coming out with, with perhaps more definitive, verifiable evidence around this hypothesis of a non-human animal, even though they're related to us in some way, we don't know that relationship, performing ritualized practices related to death. Because, by the way, if they are, it has profound implications for how humans view both their special place in nature and the origins of those practices. Because... Homo naledi's doing this 150 to 200,000 years before we have any evidence that Homo sapiens are doing something like this. So it's very important we get this right, and we're continuing to, to work on that and test that hypothesis. So do you think the Rising Star Caves is a gift that's going to keep on giving, or do you think more discoveries will come from the site? Well, I, I happen to know that it is a gift that keeps on giving. We took very deliberate decisions of leaving most of the Homo naledi remains there. We pulled out maybe two and a half thousand individual remains of Homo naledi, uh, representing just under 30 individuals so far. 
and we've left thousands of remains in there. We are constantly working on some of these problems. We have made some really spectacular discoveries, but as you know, the process of extracting material, conducting the studies, and then going through the very rigorous peer review processes that are always around, you know, major statements and, and announcements like those related to Homo naledi are, it takes time. And so we're in the middle of a lot of this now. So I can say with all assurances that uh, the site is going to keep giving. Um, what does this all mean for South Africa? Well, you know, I, I've been very fortunate. I, I've been in, in, in South Africa for 30 years and Africa for 32 years. And I've seen the impact of these discoveries on different parts of the economy, different parts of the country. I was very privileged to be involved in the discovery of a new species, Australopithecus sediba, back in 2008, which we announced in 2010. And then, of course, the Homo naledi discovery, and many others since then. And it's, you know, beyond the human interest. And I don't want to undermine that part of it, because this is our story. We are uncovering evidence about the story of the human adventure, and people should be interested in that because it also speaks to our commonality as a species out of Africa. It speaks to the idea of, of greater understanding of what we are and how we are connected to nature. But it also has other kind of, it has real impacts for your sort of audience. As of a couple of years ago, I mean, for example, the Homo naledi discoveries had generated over $1.1 billion in value of coverage for the country. Now, that's, you know, it, I think many of your readers will have seen when we announced it, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa on the front page of the Wall Street Journal or the front page yeah. of the New York Times and with these discoveries. And so that brings tremendous awareness about South Africa. It obviously impacts the, the tourism industry when we used to have an international tourism industry and hopefully will in the future. It makes people want to come and see these things. You know, when we put the originals on display, we had um, four and a half hour queues to get to see these. And, you know, literally tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people uh, came to, to view these things. So those are real and tangible impacts of this and will affect the museums and places where they're displayed forever, effectively. You know, they're, they're arc objects, if you will, as, as you discover them. But they're also emotive objects, you know, the they're part of the story that allows us to say, you know, to tell people around the world, you know, come to Africa because yeah. this is the only continent that you're an indigenous animal on. Everywhere else, you're an invasive species. That's a powerful messaging of unity for, uh, for this country and this continent. This interview was brought to you by First Rand. For more stories of South African success, visit the Good Hope section at biznews.com.